We all know it's not about the presents. It's not about the frosted trees, carolers, or snowmen. By now we've had it drilled into us. Christmas is not about toys. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about a family feast, and no, it's not about your toys either. But what we forget is that Christmas is more than just a story about a baby in a manger. It's a story of longing. They were longing for a savior those 2,000 years ago, aching for redemption and for justice. And though Christ fulfilled many prophecies, there are many more we are still waiting for today. But just like the nation of Israel, we too have hope, a promised return of our Savior. So this year, amongst all the family quarrels, remember this. Christmas, the Advent, isn't over. And as the Apostle John once wrote, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. isn't over, and I think that many of you this morning already said, uh, Happy New Year, and I'm going to be a bit of a legalist and be like, not yet, <laughs> you know. Uh, this is the end of 2012, and this is the final week in our series, Christmas is Not Your Birthday, and um, I wanted to, um, well, I don't even know if we understand seasonally what happens, you know, when we wait during the Christmas, the Advent season, but Christmas starts on the 25th and runs through, does anybody know? January 6th, which is called what? Huh? Epiphany, right? Epiphany. And it's this moment whenever, like, the world realizes Jesus is king. And in a very tangible way, from the video we just heard, um, it says that we are awaiting a Savior. And there's a beautiful reality that in this season of Christmas tide, we celebrate Jesus' advent, his coming. He came in the flesh, and yet we're still waiting. Did you hear? Like, all the promises aren't yet fulfilled that he's made to us for his, as his people. And that's a great news um, for those of us who are still here waiting for Jesus to fulfill all of his promises. Well, this morning I wanted to... Um, to share with you. Oh, and by the way, uh, the reason normally you would do Epiphany on the 6th and next Sunday is the 6th, but next Sunday is unique in this way that we're having Elaine come. Is this still correct, Christy? Elaine's coming from Africa to speak to us. And so if you would pray for her for safe travels, I'm sure she's coming in like four days. I'm sure she has to start like in two days, I think, to get here. So be praying for her as she travels. But um, whenever uh, she comes and visits us, uh, will be next Sunday, and so we're going to give her that time. I hope you will come. I hope you maybe will invite some friends to come and hear how God can dramatically impact the world through a person's decision to follow him. Okay, so that's next Sunday here at Family Bible Church. Be praying for Elaine as she prepares to share and speak to us next week. So um, I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles, but before I do, so go and grab a Bible if you don't have it, and there's plenty this morning for all of us. Um, but go ahead and grab a Bible. I'm going to pray before we open the Word, so please join me in prayer this morning. Father God, we thank you for 2012 and every year that's come before it. We acknowledge this morning, Father, that we are here by your grace, that you breathed life into us, 
that you knit us together in our mother's womb. And every day has been a gift from you. And at the end of this year, and we begin the next year, I pray, Father God, that we would always acknowledge you as creator and Lord, that we would thank you for the gift of life we've been given, for the joys, for the pain, and for everything that comes, Father God. It's a gift of, from you to us. And we thank you today for that. We pray right now that whatever's going on in our hearts and minds, you would center us on Christ, on his word, and on the work you're doing through your Holy Spirit among us, that we would be more fully um, developed as followers of yours. And Lord, our desire today isn't just to come and talk about it, but to do it, to live it, to change, to be changed. And Father, um, we can't do that on our own. And so we're asking you for your help and your presence this morning. May you inspire your divine word And may we have eyes to see and ears to hear the implications it has for our lives each day. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to just do a couple of verses here, 11 and 12. There's a, there's a narrative, but I just want to hit these two verses with you this morning as a kind of jumping off point. We've preached this before at Family Bible Church. I should say I've preached this before at Family Bible Church. I know for a fact Here's what the word says. I'm going to start in verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw there a child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the very end of the experience of what we call the, the wise men, right? The men from afar, the men from the east. Scripture here gives us an indication that it wasn't just the Israelites who were waiting for a king, for Messiah Jesus to show up. But the world had heard rumors of his coming. So much so that people came from far away and, and was wondering, are you the one? You'll recall the story about these men in Herod who began to frantically look for Jesus. He felt him as a threat to his own authority. But what we want to start with this morning is a few things because the reality is this. Many of us believe wrongly that we can know Jesus, that we can know about Jesus, that we can accept Jesus, and yet nothing has to change. Right? I mean, many of us believe that it's just one more thing and a list of things that we can do, and then nothing else has to change for us. But the reality, and if you look at Scripture, and I would challenge you to look at Scripture yourself. Don't take my word for it. Look at the word. Every person who encounters Jesus leaves changed. No one goes away the same. There's many stories of Jesus healing people, and they, they are healed, and not all of them come and follow him, but they're all changed by the encounter with Jesus. And here, in the second chapter of Matthew, you can see that um, there's... There clearly something has happened differently for these wise men who came to seek him. By the way, there's a little house here in town, if you saw it. Every year they put up a real simple display. Um, it's right by Congregational Church there on, I don't know what street that is. What street is that? Washington? Thank you. And, it's, and all it says is a sign. It's got the three cutout dudes, and it says, wise men still seek him. I think that's such a cool thing. It's such a simple message that's different than everything else we often proclaim about Christ, but wise men still seek him. I love that little display. Well, you see here that these men had come from afar, and, and when they showed up, 
They saw Jesus and Mary, and then they bowed down and worshiped him. And so there's this reality that when you meet Jesus for the first time, you're instant, I and mean, when you know him, and this is a hard thing for us to explain, I should say for me maybe to explain, as someone who was raised in church, like I spent my whole life growing up in church from the time I was a little bitty, and yet I did not know that I could know Jesus. And I did not worship Jesus other than through perfunctory behavior. That's a fancy word for this early in the morning, isn't it? Yeah. In other words, I just showed up because you're supposed to. I went with my parents because I had to. I, I did all the stuff you're supposed to do to be religious. I, I was hoping. I didn't understand it. I had a lot of questions. Well, how in the world does this stuff really work? If God is everywhere, he can hear everything. Why can't I talk to him right here? I mean, there was lots of questions when I was like 8, 9, 10. I didn't understand. But I went and I did my duty. But there's something that's different about doing your religious duty and knowing that the God of the universe wants to know you intimately. And the reality is that when you see it, as these wise men did, they had heard the stories, but when they saw the child, the fulfillment, these non-Jewish people, these people who are far from God, says what? Fell on their face and worshiped him. This was no ordinary act. It was a profound encounter for these men. So the first thing is that we worship Jesus when we meet him. We just go, you're so awesome, and we love you, and it comes from inside of us. I believe, and you can check my doctrine, I believe this comes from the Spirit pouring forth from us. The Word says when you receive Jesus, when you know him, the Holy Spirit is on you, and you begin to proclaim his good news. I think that the Spirit finally has a free flow through us when we know Jesus as Savior, and we begin to proclaim him and worship him in our hearts not, not out on the, on the street corners. I'm just saying that you begin to effusively worship God because for the first time in your life, you know him. Well, then the second thing that happens in this epiphanal response for these wise men is they bring, they had brought these treasures and they were going to present them, but they worshiped first and then they brought their treasures and gave them to Jesus. And it was like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't know what you got for Christmas. I don't know what I would do. I know I'd do a gold, <laughs> I will do a frankincense and myrrh. I guess what, two of those things haven't really kept their value. Um, but they brought these and they, they gave them to the Christ child. You'll remember, I loved it. Um, I, when we had our nativity up here with our children two weeks ago, <laughs> three weeks ago, whatever it was, um, whenever the wise men brought the gifts, I think they gave them to the shepherds, which was really funny. Because the shepherds, and I think it was one of the Berkner boys was like, yeah, I'll take that. You know, I just thought, is that biblical? That's cool, though. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so, but it, it's this whole reality of these people coming and knowing Christ and then giving gifts to him. And this is going to be the challenge for us today. The third is this, though, you see. Look at the, your Bible. It says, and having been warned in a dream, you see, God spoke to them not to go back to Herod. They went home by another route. In other words, they had these plans. They were very obedient. These men were faithful followers, faithful servants. They did what they were told to do, but in this moment, they were told to change some things, and they left a different way. They did not go back the way they were supposed to go back. They went back changed. They went back different. And I love, love that narrative from Scripture. The epiphanal response, by the way, if you don't know what the epiphany, it's like that moment when you get it, you know, like the light comes on. It's like that moment of revelation. And this is the encounter they had with the coming of the Christ. 
So what does that mean for us? That, that means that when you know Jesus, and this is, I, I just, it, let me know if this isn't true, you'll never be the same. Like, now, I'm never the same. God is constantly challenging me, not for religiosity and not to impress other people, but he's speaking into my soul and he's saying, this isn't right. You have to change this. And he's compelling me to change. The reality is that when we meet Jesus, we're never the same again. I don't mean we're never the same as in, you know, here you're at point A and then all of a sudden you move to point B and you're forever at point B right? Some of us think that. I mean, God is always changing you, always challenging you, always growing you. If you don't believe me, I would invite you to sit down with someone who's followed Jesus for a long time, who's a passionate follower of Christ, who still understands the gospel in our lives, and then ask them, you know, we used to do a great thing. Uh, I was helping out some student ministry, and, and um, I had this great thing where I'd bring in these folks who I thought were just like, like, you know, been following Jesus forever, as I would say back then. And, and I would say, are you done? Are you, have you finished? Are, are you there yet? And they would, without exception, say no. God still changes me, still challenging me every day in my life. Well, today we've been talking through this material, as you know. Christmas is not your birthday. And um, it's been a great and challenging time for, I know, for me. I'm not sure about for you. And, uh, but today we're going to talk through a few principles that we can pull from Scripture on how we can truly begin to change our lives. And this is the year, if you haven't noticed already on TV and stuff, everybody's saying, make 2013 the best year ever, you know, or the weight loss programs are going crazy. There was some new book about some obvious stuff like eat less and exercise, you know, and they're going to make a million dollars selling that book again, right? Um, and so, so there's all this kind of push, but Here's some ideas as we enter into 2013, some ways that we can become more intentional about following Jesus, become better followers of his. The first principle uh, is to right-size your life for mission. I'm going to ask you, if you're already in Matthew 2, uh, flip a few pages over to Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is, verses 24 and 25. This is um, in the middle of this great teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus kind of gives this huge expository teaching, I mean, this huge exposition, not of Scripture, but of the reality of life, right? This is the book of life right here. And he preaches it to his disciples, those who are following him. And in the middle of all of these things, he teaches this principle. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now that's interesting, right? He's up on a mountain and he's teaching about the kingdom of God and he says, you're gonna end up choosing who you follow in this life, right? I'm sure that everyone there was in different condition financially. And he says, you're gonna choose what you're gonna do and you're gonna either follow money or you're gonna follow God, okay? Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear, is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? We rarely hear those verses together. They're right there together in the Bible. But we rarely hear them that way. That he teaches this idea that you're going to choose who you serve. And the very next word out of Jesus' mouth is, so don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. Right? This is 
reality in our lives that we spend so much time making sure that we have enough. And last week's message, and I don't know if you felt that way, but I was so challenged by that reality of withholding things from God, of telling God, like, God, we need a solution. And all the while we got stuff behind our back that's ours, that's ours. And we wonder why he won't provide a solution. And, and I'm not telling you that to, I'm just telling you that for me, that was a very challenging um, reality that we all have. I have it as well that we ask God to do something all while holding on to our stuff. But here Jesus says that when you follow me, followers, you're going to have to face, a, a, you're going to make a choice. At some point, you're going to decide. Now, I know that what many of you here, when the people in the church talk about money, okay, and I was outside the church for a long time. I was in the church, and then I was out of the church for a long time, and then God saved me, praise God. But here's the thing, right? I know you're thinking, people say this, you're going to have to choose to serve God or money, right? So what you're going to do is give me all your money. But that's not true. Because people in ministry can sin just as egregiously because they're following money and not following God. Maybe more so because we, you, know, you think you're entitled. Well, we're doing God's work here. God's no respecter of persons. We all have to decide. And every person who is, who is following God, whether you're a pastor, whether you're uh, you know, a shop worker, whether you're like a, a teacher or a professor or a janitor, I don't know what, you're a stay-at-home mom, I mean, whatever, you're going to have to make a decision if you're going to follow God or follow money. And there's no exception clause. There's no exception clause for religious people. He's talking to those who would come after him. He's saying, you're going to decide. It's interesting that the second part, he kind of says... You're going to be worried about the stuff for you, but don't. You see, that's what happens, no matter how faithful you are. You go, I'm going to do something. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to believe this thing. And then in a moment, you start to go, I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. And Jesus says, don't worry. The principle is right-sizing your life for mission. There's this great story in this book. By the way, if you didn't get one, you can, you can buy these like 10 bucks. It's a great study, great read. But there's, a great, there's this kind of idea in there that, this is interesting, that in the United States of America, and we're talking to you because you're here. If we were like in Africa, we're talking to Africans about African stuff, okay? So I'm not picking on Americans. But here in our country, our family size has shrunk. We used to have larger families. You would hear of people having 8, 10, 12 kids. Anybody know people who have 8, 10, 12 kids? Yeah, because you live in Highland, right? I mean, it's like it happens, you know, birth control. Who knew, right? I mean, it's, it's like our parents discovered, hey, kids happen after that. So here's this thing is that our family side, we begin to say, wait a minute, make, having a lot of kids makes you poor. Anybody know that story? <laughs> having a few kids can make you poor, right? <laughs> Uh, and so the reality is, though, that we began to, to want less kids. I'll just have one and make them perfect. Oh, God, help us from the you know, only children in the world. I'm one of those, okay? We're going to have two just to replace ourselves, a boy and a girl and a dog, you know? We're going to have three Oh, there's a middle child. We're going to have four. So there's two middle children. I don't even know what kind of complex that causes. But we stop there. 
Don't, right? Most people start to go, oh, this is getting crazy, you know? You see it still today. People have more than that and start going, are you guys okay? You know what you're doing here? Those things live forever, right? They don't, you can't return them later. Um, here's an interesting thing. Our family size has shrunk, but our houses have gotten, like, I think it said 250% larger. We have less people living in bigger buildings. Isn't that interesting? And, and this is the reality of our life in the United States. Interestingly enough, um, I see this in my life. Go to your grandma's. How many of you went to your grandma's house for Christmas? Anybody? Did it seem cramped? I went to a family gathering. I, I kept bumping into people, and there was like 10 people in the room. You know what I mean? It's this thing, because it's a different experience, isn't it? Times have changed. There's this idea in our life, and we say, oh, Lord, if I just had a little more, I'd do some work for you. I could, I could help out those kids, or I could be part of that ministry. But until you're willing to right-size your life, that means to fit things properly, right? To, to, the Scripture teaches in Acts that you'd use what you need that's a whole different concept than what we currently do. And that's a very challenging thing, that we would right-size our life for the sake of mission in the world. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is teaching his followers what it looks like to follow him. And he says, you're going to have to choose, but then don't worry after you choose, because I'm going to be with you, right? God will not abandon us on mission for him. Well, the second principle I want to share with you is um, making the kingdom of God a priority in your life. And, and this is one of those things where you'll feel that inward struggle, that inward battle over the whole money, God thing, you know, what you're going to do. But you'll feel this as well, making the kingdom of God. I would say this is a solution to that first kind of struggle of God and money choosing. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It's right below where we just read. As a matter of fact, if we back up a little bit, he says in 31, so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. Look at 32. The pagans, that means the rest of the world runs after all these things, but your heavenly, fathers know, heavenly Father knows that you need them. Then 33 is a solution. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Okay? Making the kingdom of God a priority in your life. He says, instead of being anxious about all the things you need, choose to make Jesus' work in the world a priority. And then everything's going to come together. Now, this is another passage you may have heard preached in churches before, as I have, and they'll preach it like this, right? If you just follow Jesus, he'll give you everything you ever wanted, right? I mean, you just, this, the stuff's going to rain down from heaven. You're just going to be, you know, I don't think that's what it, it, he's saying here. If you look at the verse with me, he says, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all the things that will be given to you. What things will be given to you? What shall we eat? What shall we wear? He's like, I'm not going to send you out having no protection or no uh, way to make a way forward. The reality is that many of us get to that point, and if you haven't, I hope you will where you'll begin to see something in the world that God's asking you to do something about. And the question is, are you willing to reorient your life in such a way that God's work is the priority? 
right? This is a very practical tool, I think, in our lives. This is how it works for me. You can, you, you know, you can try it yourself. You find yourself really anxious about a situation you're facing. I don't know what it is. You know, the mortgage is past due. Your car is broken down on the side of the road again. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you, you know, whatever it is for you, you can't afford, you know, the big cable package. You have to go down to the smaller cable package now, which is quite a sacrifice. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's something that you can't, and in that moment, you get all bent up, right? I hope in that moment you'd be willing to talk to God about it and say, you know what? Here's the thing, right? First, we confess that. Lord, I, I got this battle inside of me, and I'm worried, I'm anxious. And your word says, don't be anxious, but I'm anxious about this. And then the second thing is, I'm going to choose to follow you. I'm going to choose to do that thing you're calling me to do anyway. And see what God does with that. I can tell you my own life and experience very practically. I was facing some stuff, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get through this, or what's going to happen? And then in the moment, and I believe this is the Holy Spirit's work in our life, in the moment, God spoke these words to me and said, instead of this, choose to seek my kingdom and my glory. He didn't add the rest of that verse for me. He just said, instead of what you're doing, this anxiety, this worry, oh, the future, it's so uncertain. I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, instead of all this anxiety, choose my glory, my kingdom. And you know what? I did that. And that moment, I said, you know, Lord, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop obsessing about it. I'm just going to let it go, and I'm going to follow you. And within a few weeks, everything was resolved. It was all for nothing. All my worry and anxiety was wasted time. And here, we're challenged in the, in the Gospel of Matthew to choose to make the kingdom of God a priority in our lives. It's a very practical thing that you can do to choose to follow God instead of ang being anxious or worrying about everything. Next principle is this. Oh, oh there was the verse I was going to tell you about. <laughs> Next is this one right here. Travel light. Travel light. Less is more, Right? This was the funniest thing, uh, and I don't know what your holiday rituals are. We have a few that we do. We don't do Black Friday usually. We try not to do Black Friday because it's craziness, right? Um, but one of our rituals is usually the day after Christmas, we'll go to the store. Now, we didn't this year. We were actually at a family gathering. But a few days later, and this was kind of funny because Chris and I went separately, didn't tell each other. And then we were talking later and realized that we were both doing the same thing, which is kind of checking out the Christmas section right? Here's a strategy for a saver. You go and you buy your stuff now and you put it away and the next year you get out your new stuff. You know, you pay half price. Anybody do that? Did anyone notice what's back by the Christmas section now? <laughs> Swimming gear, which is bizarre, but thank you for your participation, Corey, in this ritual of looking for discount items because that's all the way in the back. <laughs> Life jackets. Are you serious? Yeah, you're going to freeze in the ice, all right? Uh, anyone, anyone else see what's back there? It's before, right when you walk through. Huh? Valentine? Are you serious? You saw Valentine stuff? I got to look where you're looking, Dave. I didn't see anything like that. I saw storage containers. Red and green. Stacked floor to ceiling, which is quite a feat at Walmart, you know. Rows of places to put all the stuff that we've accumulated. Isn't that interesting that when they move those discount products back, they move their new products in and new products that come in. The season right now is pack it up and store it, right? 
you got to get the discounted wrapping paper, and you got to get the big tub to put the wrapping paper in, right? To put it, stack it neatly in your closet till next year. This is what we're taught to do in our society. Store more stuff. Uh, George Carlin, I think I told you this before, but I love this. It always comes up when I read this passage. George Carlin had this great line about Americans and their stuff, right? But this is what was funny about it this time. I, I, a friend of mine got a new car for Christmas. I should say an acquaintance, not really a friend, but whatever. And anybody seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah? Okay, remember that garage where the car was that he tried to back the mileage off of? Do you remember that whole scene? Okay. Well, here's the thing. I kid you not, this acquaintance of mine had got a brand new, apparently really cool car. I don't know much about it, but people were like, ooh, dude, that's awesome. You know what I mean? And he's like my age, right? And he's got this awesome car. And someone said, what, did you park that in your living room? Because it looks just like that garage in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I mean, it looks just like it. I swear he's living in the same house, okay? And then I'm driving Nathan, and I are driving around, and I said, isn't it crazy that we park our cars in our houses here? Most of you have a house for your car. I have a house for my car, and it goes in my house every time. The difference is here, and the difference between my friend's house and I, is mine has two steps down until you're in my car house. Maybe yours is like that. This guy's was like flat in. You just went through a door and bam, you're in his, someone said living room, but it's his garage, right? Carlin had a great thing about having more room for our stuff and putting our stuff in stuff and putting that stuff in our bigger stuff and then having, you know, houses. And if you've not seen the proliferation of storage units that are going up everywhere because our houses aren't quite big enough to hold all of our stuff yet. So we have to rent space from other people who built bigger buildings to put our stuff in that we'll never go and get until the auction guy comes and buys it for, yep, sold, right? What am I saying? Less is more. Travel light. And this is a really hard thing. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 10. We're kind of just walking right through the Gospel of Matthew here. But Jesus sends out his disciples, and I want you to see what he equips them with. It's going to be in Matthew 10, verses 9 and 10. And this is what Jesus says. I'm going to back up a few verses. I'm going to pick up in 7-5, right? He says this, Preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, there it is, freely give. Here's verse 9 now. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take along no bag for the journey or an extra hat or sandals or a staff because the worker is worth his keep, Right? He sends out his followers with nothing. He sends them out and says, just go with the word of God. I've often thought, well, that's because he wanted to get, you know, more glory. He said, wow, we did this with nothing, right? But the reality is that if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said to his followers, don't worry about what you'll wear or what you'll eat. Just go. Travel light. The... I told you about the Schraders who were going to Chad. They sold all their stuff twice here in Southern Illinois. Had a big sale, then couldn't go. Had to buy some stuff to have a temporary setup. And then they had to have another big sale, and they left. And they still took a whole trailer full of stuff to Canada, they said, you know. But it, it's, they had to get rid of all their stuff to go and serve Jesus. It was holding them down. The reality is, whenever we're following the Messiah, that we're called to travel light. And that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. It means that you have to 
Get rid of some of your stuff. Take only what you need and trust that along the way, God will provide for you. What a great lesson from Scripture that many of us in our country right now could especially learn. You may recall there's a narrative in the Gospel of Luke. It's a parable that Jesus taught, and he taught it right here in this place, in this place in Scripture, the same as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, where Jesus said, there's this guy, and he's farming all these fields, and he has an abundance of crop. I mean, the stuff's just coming out. It's the, it's the bumper crop year, right? He's just overwhelmed with what to do. And it says, what the guy decides to do is, it doesn't say instead of what, he decides he doesn't have enough barns for his stuff, so he decides to build more barns for all my stuff. And that's what he does. This is in Luke 12, by the way. You don't have to look there. I'm just, and so he builds bigger barns for all of the, offer, the grain stuff. He got all of his harvest. He's wealthy. As a matter of fact, he's so stinking rich, he says, you know what? I don't ever have to work again. I can kick back, relax, and take it easy because God has so blessed me this year. And you know what God calls him in the parable? A fool. A fool. He says, who are you storing all this stuff up for? Do you not know that your life can be taken tonight? And then who gets it? Not you. The reality is that we are called to travel light when we're following Jesus because in the end, the only treasure we have are the treasures that, we, that is, is in God's kingdom. The only treasure that we go and meet, you know what I'm saying, that we send ahead is treasures in the kingdom of God. We don't want to be like the rich fool in God's eyes. And here's an opportunity that we can try it. Travel light. So all these are kind of principles. Well, here's some practical things, how to make your life different. This comes directly from the book uh, Mike Slaughter wrote, and I think they're so, so good. And so I'm going to run through them real quick, and we're going to wrap up the whole series here in just a few minutes. So this is what he says. To make your life different in 2013, there's a few things you can do right now where you are in your life. And the first one is proactive parenting. Proactive parenting. And we live in a time right now where we have so much and our kids have so much. And I don't know how your Christmas was, but our Christmas was good. Our kids had a lot of stuff. They love the stuff that they have. And I'm not mad about that. But the reality is that many times that what we hear from our kids is no one else has to do that. None of my friends. I want to tell you, if you're a parent in this room right now, your children are lying to you. <laughs> Let's just get that straight. They're lying to you. I've met too many other parents that are saying the same things to their kids, and it's the kid's job. It's not their job to be like, you know, automatons, you know, like, yes, I will do that, Father. You know what I mean? That would be really lame. But their, their job is to say, no, I don't want to do that. And then we go, you're going to do it anyway. You're going to start proactive parenting. You're going to begin to shape your children to be different in this life if you follow Jesus. There's many verses, but the reality is this, that when God gives us children, he gives us a huge responsibility, a huge responsibility. We, we often, when we dedicate babies, we remember the passage in Deuteronomy, right, to, to, to teach the children about God. But I want to extend it a little further, you see, because it's not just about your kids, because you might go, my kids are out. 
Every child becomes our responsibility. We have an opportunity with anyone, any child we see, to help them along the journey. Proactive parenting. How about this, proactive parenting? Encouraging another parent if you've gone through the same thing. When you hear that young person struggling, don't, don't just stand there, but say, you know, we went through that. And this is what we did right, what we did wrong. You know? Help one another out. In the coming in the spring, by the way, we're going to have family groups again coming up, and you probably got an email, maybe a few of you, about that, asking to maybe lead or be a host home. I would ask you to prayerfully consider that. If you were interested in doing it, we're going to start, I think, the week of February 18th in family groups. But something else we're going to be doing also in the spring is this kind of real-life course. We've done Financial Peace University at this church before. It's a very practical teaching on how to handle money God's way. And it's, it, just, it will set you free financially, set you free from debt and all kind of stuff. Well, there's this course we're going to be offering called Boundaries with Kids. Chris and I have studied this for the last, what, maybe like six months. And it just, just helped us so much. Now, our kids aren't perfect, thank God, <laughs> you know. But it has helped us so much. And we're going to be offering this course not because, just as those who want it. Um, and so I want to share it with you. If, you. if you're interested in participating, keep your ears and eyes open. We'll be offering it probably starting after family groups but we'll be running the same uh, principle we kind of do with FPU a few weeks to sit and think about how we really interact with our kids, how to be good parents. Um, it's a great opportunity, but to be proactive in our parenting with our children. The second opportunity that you have is to pra- give practical service, right? Make changes in the new year, become a more proactive parent, and be practical in your service. And these go hand in hand, by the way. You can encourage your kids to serve with you. We've dragged our kids to some things, not to make them mad at us, but to show them what's out there that they can do also. Um, practical ways to serve. Uh, there are so many that are offered. And um, you'll, you'll recall that the, the scripture says that um, let, go do good deeds so that others might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, right? That's the principle principle from scripture. But there are many, many chances to uh, serve. Now, this is interesting to me. Many people have a hard time during Christmas. Many people really struggle because all the old traditions aren't working. You can't go to grandma's house because grandma died. You, You can't go to mom and dad's maybe. There's some loss. I've got family right now that have lost people very close to them. They're really struggling. And God has been showing me this message consistently about practical service as an aid to grieve in a healthy way. This isn't, it's so funny, I'm always amazed, I don't know why I am, but when, whenever God's word says to do something and then we see the world say, hey, that's a good idea, uh, I get really excited about that. And the reality is that um, I saw this article and it said, one of the best ways that you can what, get through the holidays, if you're really grieving, is to find someone else to serve. Something else, if you're really having a hard time in life, a great opportunity is to go and serve someone else and not yourself. It just helps you. It just changes your perspective. And if you're doing it with an eye to the kingdom of God, it changes your heart. You begin to have hope. You begin to see that life changes, but God's still in charge. The reality is that when we begin to serve others in practical ways, we show the love of Christ to them. They can know him through our work. And we get the benefit of growing in that time. 
And so it's such a great opportunity. Some practical service, there's so many things you can do. We have the food pantry coming up, which we do every month, which is really cool. There's, um, you can do small things, taking a meal to your neighbor. Did any of you like get some cookies or a dinner plate and take it to a neighbor? You know, you can check in on folks who are elderly. Chris had a great idea of going and visiting folks at the um, retirement homes and not just blowing through, like, hey, we're here and we're out. It was interesting. We went to my grandmother's. She lives in a nursing home. And um, we went and saw her for Christmas. And when we were leaving our family, which our family is like a truckload of turkey, anywhere we go, you know, it's just like, blah, we come through. And we don't try to be, it's just the way it works. We're like, get in the car. We got to go somewhere else, you know. I was amazed when we walked through there. There was folks sitting around. It was the day after Christmas now, the 26th. And I heard someone say, oh, oh, whose visitors are those? And I didn't slow down. But something happened in my heart. And I thought, man, that's, you know, there's something special about that, isn't there? Chris says, well, how about we go and sit with somebody and listen to them? Spend some time with them. Practical service will change your family. Um, we have an opportunity actually tonight as well, which I, I want to mention here. Uh, we're going to be doing a Highland Home service right here in a, and with our friends over at Highland Home. It's the fifth Sunday of the month. So we get to go do that. If you want to do that, you can sit and worship. It takes 45 minutes of your time. It's fantastic. Um, we're going to have some, uh, some sharing the word and some singing, but mostly honest to God. It's mostly going up and down and saying, how are you doing? Giving them a hug and a handshake, telling them that we love them. And every time we're there, they say, man, we wish you guys would come more often. We love to see you here. So we can demonstrate our love through good works. And then the third thing, the way to make your life different is to verbally witness to others. Um, Mike uh, Slaughter has this great idea of, or this great concept, I should say, of um, witnessing, sharing the gospel. And he says, it's show, then tell. And I thought that was so succinct. I'm like, well, that's brilliant, right? You show God's love, then you tell them why you're doing what you're doing. When they ask, you just show the love of Christ. And so we go and we spend time, and, and I love, and I always say, whenever I'm with somebody, I always say, well, God bless you. God bless you. You know, if, if there's nothing else we can bring to someone after a conversation, to leave them with understanding that God is present to them, I think is huge. And so we can all do that kind of witnessing. Some of us get freaked out about that. But the reality is that we can go show God's love and then tell them about the gospel uh, in our conversations. It's a great, great opportunity. Well, here's the final thought. All those things are ways to make things different. But you may, might be like me and you think, man, how can I do anything? The needs are so great. And, and so you get stuck. And I really do. I get stuck in the idea of the grandeur of it all. But I was reminded by all of you who were here on the Christmas Eve service. We did a candlelight song. We sang Silent Night. And we passed around this one little flame. And what really struck me this year at the candlelight service was that God has given each of us something. And, and I want to say this. I hope you hear me. It can be small and delicate. It can be easily snuffed out. It can seem silly and pointless. And you can hold it behind your back and say, all I have is this one little light. But the Word of God says that we should let our little light shine, like literally just whatever it is, don't be ashamed of it and let it be what it is. Be real about what God has given you or called you to do. Dave Ramsey had this article he written for the holidays 
and he says, we never despise small things. That's interesting, isn't it? To despise small things. He said, we never despise small things here. And he told the story of a college student who was challenged in his walk with Christ to give for the first time to a nonprofit organization. And, and he was really struggling how much to give, this kid, because he was a poor college student. And this is how he set it up in his mind. And you can do this with anything. I mean, you can do it with exercise, with diet, with giving, with serving, anything in your life. He asked this question, how much would be so little that it would be ridiculous if I didn't do it? Like, I want to be part of this nonprofit ministry. How much would be so little, it would be so goofy of me to say I couldn't do that. He decided a dollar. I could give a dollar a month. And then he was kind of embarrassed. He said, well, I can, I can give $5 a month. That's what he settled on. $5 a month as a broke college student to this nonprofit he wanted to support. He just wanted to show some love. And so he started doing it. And he said, as he began to come through his college experience, and he had a part-time job, and he would find that that $5 was easy, easy, easy. He was like, you know, I, can, I could do 20 a month. I could do 20 a month. And he started giving 20 a month to this nonprofit, just faithfully. He just felt like, oh, God's calling me to do this, and he's just doing it. Silly, 20 bucks, like, what was that? You know, a night out to movies, or, you know, a pair, uh, half a pair of shoes, or, you know, something, a quarter of a pair of shoes. I mean, and he just started, and he began this habit in his life. And then he says, and now he's been giving all this time faithfully. And what he realized is that in his spirit, God had planted generosity through his gifts. That he became a more generous person. And that can be true for anything. We don't despise small things. The word says, let your light shine among men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that means that anything we want to really change, we always think, oh, I got to make this huge change. You do one little thing. One little thing. How much would be so small, it'd be ridiculous. I don't mean money only. If, if you want to change your diet in the new year, how much would be so small, be ridiculous? You know? Give up one little thing, that, that one cookie, not all five of them. Exercise. How much would be so small, could, could you just do this for a minute? Uh, uh, woo! You know what I mean? Could you, could, you, could you do something so small that you go, that's so silly, of course I can do that, and commit to doing it, building a new habit in your life? I wanted to share uh, this letter with you. It's not going to share the whole thing, but um, we were talking about the ministry opportunities we have here, and I want to give you an update, and then we're going to pray. But um, this came from the food pantry here in community, Highland Food Pantry. And what's really funny is that many of you adopted a, fam adopted a child in a family. And I know that this happened. I'm not going to belabor that point. And praise God we did it. But even when we said it, we're like, hey, we had 11 kids. We did 11 kids that got Christmas this year because of your generosity in this church. Praise God, right? It was, and we got the stove for Jeremiah Project. Praise God for that. And all these things, opportunities we have. Elaine's coming next week. I know many of you have said you can't wait to meet Elaine. And you've been praying about what God's going to do through you for Elaine. And I'm so excited for Elaine to come to us. Praise God for that. Here's what blew me away. I got this letter from the food pantry. It wasn't really, it was just written to us to say thanks, uh, say, you know, worshiping Jesus. They, by the way, the pantry is actually all the churches in Highland working together, which is really cool. That's how it started. That's how it continues. And, and this is what blew me away. We had 11 kids here, 11. But as a community, 317. 
children had Christmas that wouldn't have had it without them, without those generous people. And maybe for you, and I know what some of you even took one and you split it up. You said, I'll take this, you take that, and you shared it, and you might have thought, that's so small. How does that? It all adds up to a really big thing for them. Those 317 kids, praise God, and, and, and we should never despise a small thing we can do. The word calls us to let our light shine. I praise God for you. I praise God for the way that, that we are growing together. And I pray that in two, as we enter 2013, that we will be more on mission and more focused and growing more than ever together. Please pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for the work that you've done. We thank you so much for this year that you've given us. And we thank you more than anything else for the knowledge that we have of our relationship with you. Honestly, God, we had this life before we knew you. We could breathe, we could eat, we could have stuff, we could do all this, these things, but honestly, they were meaningless. They had no value. And now, Father, as we know you, I pray that you would do your Spirit's work in our life, that we would be the kind of people that would be conformed to your word, that would be transformed as we seek you in the world, that we seek to serve others. And Father, help us to never despise small things. Because as we know, when you came, you came as a baby, a little bitty thing. But those wise men got it. And I pray that when we see the work around us, we would get it also. May you be glorified as we're transformed and may we be sincere in our pursuit of you. In Jesus' name, amen.